Thank you, Elder Jerry. Um, it's good to be with you guys again this morning. Uh, I think it's very encouraging when I see youths um, explain the reasons why they choose songs for worship. I think that's very encouraging that they're thinking intentionally about why they're choosing songs and, and, and why these songs relate to the message and, and overall to the kingdom of God. So, Tommy, that's, that was really good. That was, I'm really encouraged by that. And also Florence for, for doing the Bible reading. Um, it's very good that you guys have a culture of serving and, and seeing the, the next generation and being raised up for Jesus. It's very encouraging. Um, well, I hope everyone's doing well during this season. It's, it's been really positive to see uh, the county reopening. I know for San Mateo County, we've reopened many businesses now. Uh, we're allowed 50% indoors. Uh, for, for many businesses, whether that, that's a gym, to a restaurant, to church. Um, and, and, and a lot of people are getting vaccinated at our church as well, the, the elderly. So that's really positive. And, and one thing I've noticed throughout this whole pandemic is small businesses fighting through all odds to, to remain open and to do takeout, all right? And, and, and to do whatever they can uh, within their means to keep their business afloat. Uh, even though there's many small businesses that I've seen throughout the Bay Area that have closed because of COVID restrictions, at the same time, I see a lot of small businesses giving it their best and final shot to remain open and, and just to press on. Um, and, and not only to remain open, but what I've noticed is, is some takeout shops that have seemed to be thriving during this time. Um, and, and that being said, my sermon title today I think you know where I'm heading with this. Today I'm preaching on one of the letters to the churches in Revelation, which is the letter to the church in Philadelphia. Now, before we get to the church in Philadelphia, uh, don't get confused with the city of Pennsylvania or, or the sports team, uh, Philadelphia Eagles. This city of Philadelphia we're looking at was located in Asia Minor, which we now know as modern Turkey. So, now, out of all the churches that were mentioned in the book of Revelation, in the first three chapters of Revelation, uh, this city, this church, alongside the church in Smyrna, were the only churches to receive no rebuke or no warnings from God. So this church, this, the church in Philadelphia, is your typical A-plus student, right? You have these A-plus students in, in school. And so these are the students that every teacher loves. The, the ones that not only do their homework, but they hand it in early. They get fantastic results. They listen to their teachers, every instruction. This is like what I call the teacher's pet. All right. In, in Sunday school and youth group, you have your teacher's pet. This church is, is, is so favored by God, has a special place in God's heart. So today uh, I've got a special message prepared called the small church that pressed on. The small church that pressed on. So I'm going to, um, pray and, and, and we'll go from there. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, your church and how your spirit works in your church. And Lord, we pray that you eliminate any distractions that we have, that your spirit may speak to us powerfully this morning as we think through and as we act out how we ought to, to act according to your standards. Lord, help us in this season, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, everyone loves a good underdog story, right? The disadvantaged, overlook, or just different from everyone else character that, you know, beats all odds to win the game, clear the name, and save the day, right? Whether we're watching a sports game, we love the underdog. 
or a TV show like Survivor, uh, the one who's like scrawny or the one who's not that athletic and he wins the challenges. Or if you're old like me, you know the movie Rocky, right? Rocky Balboa, right? There's something heartening about watching the little guy overcome all odds and win. Now, for those of you who are old like me or Elder Jerry, right, you know a, a famous person by the name of Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone, right? Now, Sylvester Stallone is, is he's the guy who acted in Rainbow, in, in Rocky, right? And um, the Indestructibles. Now, before he achieved fame and success, Sylvester Stallone often retells the story of how he had to sell his dog for $15 to make ends meet. Now, before he won three out of nine Oscar nominations, he had to work really hard in the film industry. There was this one story that he often retells was when he was offered $360,000 for his famous script, Rocky, but with one condition, that he wouldn't be the star. He wouldn't be Rocky. And Stallone stood firm, even with only $106 in the bank. His persistence and determination and hard work paid off. Now, now, for those of you who have watched Rocky or Creed, you know the film depicts this underdog tale of how an unlikely street boxer becomes a heavyweight champion of the world. And in one of the most inspirational scenes from the whole Rocky series, in Rocky Balboa, he highlights this powerful lesson of persistence uh, the ability to just keep on moving and and there's this scene he he looks at his son and he says let me tell you something you already know the world and all sunshine and rainbows it's a mean and very nasty place and i don't care how tough you are it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it you me Nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it's not about how hard you're hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, I really love this quote from Rocky, even though it's drawn from a fictional character. But I think it's quotes and and scenes like this that touch our hearts because in many ways, we can identify with the underdog because at some point in our lives, we have experienced uh, in in our training or in competition moments where we felt like we were the underdog, where all odds were stacked against us, where we had to fight through a never-ending struggle or where we were expected to to be beaten and, and, and to quit. You know, our individual battles may be different, but collectively in this society that we live in, we're all fighting the same underdog fight, just like Rocky. And so today, we're going to look at the church in Philadelphia, a church in many ways, like Rocky, was an underdog in society. Now, this church, in historical accounts, there was nothing impressive about this little church. It was the opposite of many other churches in the area in influence and in status. And Jesus even describes his church as a church with little power. But despite their obstacles and setbacks, including attacks from a local synagogue of Jews because of their witness about Christ, the church in Philadelphia demonstrates to us that no matter what you're up against, victory is possible through faithful persistence to God's word and patient endurance. 
So the city of Philadelphia, as I said before, was located in Asia Minor, which we now know as modern Turkey. Now this city, Philadelphia, was strategically located at the junction of several major inroads and, and, and was known as the gateway to the east. It was known for its fertile valley, especially suited for growing wine grapes. So with an economy based on agriculture, Philadelphia enjoyed considerable prosperity, right? Sounds like Saratoga, right? But it's one major drawback was that the whole region was subject to earthquakes. And, and so a devastating earthquake happened in AD 17 that pretty much wiped out all the cities of Asia overnight. But it had particularly been severe on the city of Philadelphia. And after that event, the Romans helped reconstruct this city and it was named Caesar's New City. And it, it, it struck this city so much that the Romans withheld taxes from the Philadelphians for five years. Now, to help you imagine what Philadelphia was like, think of a place like Napa Valley or Sonoma County, right? It's your country church uh, located among vineyards. Now, in this city of Philadelphia, you had this community of Christ followers, a small town church opposite of other big and flashy churches. They weren't really well known among the communities and, and they weren't that wealthy. But this church was faithful and kept the word of Jesus. Throughout social and economic pressure, attacks from the local Jews, they stood firm. A small church that had all odds stacked against them because of their witness of Christ endured and kept pressing forward. Now, I think in many ways, this church is like home of Christ for. Maybe your small town church. Maybe you're facing some sort of pressure, whether that's socially or economically. But you've been in a church that has pressed on despite setback despite many things happening in your church, despite many pastors coming and going, you've been a church that have pressed on and kept going. And so we're going to look at the words of Jesus in two parts. Jesus gives them the praise and the promise. The praise and the promise. So if you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter 3, verse 8 to 10, Jesus gives them a very high praise report. He says to them, right, you have little strength, but you've kept my word and you have not denied my name. And I, I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I've loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming to come to the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Now, we see Jesus give this praise report about the church in Philadelphia. The church was faced with some opposition because of the synagogue of Satan, most likely referring to a local Jewish community that were giving Christians a hard time because they believed Jesus was a true Messiah. And Jews at that time, they didn't believe this message. So they most likely would have given a, a Jewish Christians a hard time for believing that Jesus was the son of God. And, 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 and so I want you to imagine this scene of, of local Jewish Christians walking to the synagogue and then being denied access. The local Jews would have been like, no, we don't want you here. 
You believe in Jesus, the Messiah. We don't believe that. Go away. You're excluded from this community. But you see, in the midst of trials and setbacks, these Jewish Christians did not fall under pressure, but rather they kept the name of Jesus and they did not, dis- de- they did not deny the name of Jesus. And in return, God gives them this key of authority, an open door that their opponents cannot shut. Now, this open door in the context is like a gateway to heaven. It's a fellowship with God in his presence. In spite of their exclusion from the Jews, they are included in God's presence. And that's more important and that's more beautiful than being part of this community of Jews. You see, as the church members were being excluded and thrown into the streets and shut out of the synagogue, Jesus reminded them that through him, they had entrance into the kingdom of God. Not only that, God will come and visit the synagogue of Satan, make them repent, fall down at their feet, and make them realize that the love of God rests upon these Jewish Christians. Now, I remember back in middle school, whenever it was recess or lunchtime, I'm sure many of you can relate, right? And normally middle schoolers, they like to take they like to go outside and play sports, right? And, you know, um, in, in typical middle school fashion, you always have your captains. And the captains will choose, okay, I want, I want Ben in my team. I want Howard in my team. And then they'll go down the list. And if you're not that athletic or if you're not that popular, then you, you're the last one to be chosen, right? Some of you can identify with this, you know, like when, when they choose a basketball team or two square or four square or, or play soccer. And then, you know, you're not the sporty one because you, you're better at maths. And then you get chosen last. It's not a good feeling. And I remember back in middle school, I had a few friends who were chosen last or who weren't even chosen at all. And they were very upset. And, and the teachers came and, and saw this event unfold and gave them this key and says, hey, even though you didn't get chosen, you get the key to open the sports room, to get all the sports equipment that you can imagine. And, and even though they went picked to play uh, football or, or two square or four square, they could have access to sports chair and, 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 and take out any equipment that they wanted. They ended up being the envy of, of many people. Here, these Christians, they were excluded by the local Jews. But Jesus reminds them that, hey, you have this special key of authority which determines who can and who can't enter into the kingdom of God. This is the key of David. And and, and to flip it back on the Jewish guys, they would have envied these Jewish Christians who had this special open door privilege to God's kingdom. Not only do they have this inclusion in God's kingdom, there is a mention of this hour of trial that will come onto this whole earth. And Jesus says, you'll be protected from that. When God's wrath comes on the the world, you're going to be protected from this. Now, what we see here is Jesus gives this high praise report uh, to the church in Philadelphia. Second, he gives them a promise from verses 11 to 13. He promises them, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. 
the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on their name the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, Jesus gives these promises to those who overcome all the trials and hardships in life. He says, no one will take your crown. If you stay with me to the very end, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, Jesus uses this image of a pillar because Jesus knows how personal and how relatable a pillar would have been for these Christians in the city of Philadelphia. You remember how I said before, the city of Philadelphia was prone to earthquakes. So this picture of stability and firmness would have been understood by these Christians, which would have brought great comfort to them because this is in contrast with their living conditions. If today we were living in a city that was prone to great earthquakes and Jesus comes and says, I will make you great pillars, we would, have, we would understand this context. We'll say, ah, Jesus, thank you, because you bring stability and firmness in your presence. Second, he promises them that they will never leave this place. Now, if you lived in a city that was prone to earthquakes, what's one thing that you will do? You know what you'll do? You'll move from place to place, right? You'll, you'll find temporary residence somewhere, just like the refugees. Whether it's due to natural disaster, war against them, they'll set up a temporary residence somewhere. And so to a city that had experienced a devastating earthquake, which causes people to flee and set up temporary residence, the promise of Jesus of a permanent dwelling place would have had a very special meaning. Why? Because it conveys to the community the idea of stability and permanence in their relationship with God. They are promised a permanent citizenship in God's kingdom. You know, I can really relate to this because as a foreign alien to the U.S. coming from Australia, not, not having a green card or permanent citizenship, I sort of had this feeling of not knowing where I really belong, right? I, I'm neither there or here. But this idea that Jesus brings of this permanent dwelling place brings comfort. Notice that, hey, it doesn't matter whether I'm a citizenship of Australia or a citizenship of, of the U.S., I have a permanent residence in God's kingdom. And third, the promise is that they will have names written on them. You see, for those of you guys who, who have ever entertained the idea of getting a tattoo, and, you know, because of Asian family and background and history and all those things, and they tell you not to get a tattoo, um, you don't have to worry because one day we have this spiritual tattoo that will be given to us. And God's own name will be given to us. And, and in God's name, in, in biblical tradition, is often associated with this new status, a new function, or a new calling. And, and the name of God tattooed on the believer is a sign of intimacy, being a member of his family. And here in the context, it's a sign of ownership and protection. So here we see a church that not only receives a high praise report, 
but a church that receives a threefold promise. A new permanent dwelling place, a pillar in God's temple, and a new name. Now, to think more specifically, at the home of Christ 4 in Saratoga, I thought of three applications that may be relevant for you as a church community. Now, throughout the years, you guys have faced many different hardships, many different trials. But have you noticed weaknesses often lead us to depend on God's power? Weaknesses often lead us to depend on God's power. You see, in verse 8, these Christians had little power. They were in conflict with society, with local Jews. Being excluded from one's heritage and background is never a good feeling. Now, for you to, to, to think a bit more deeply about this, I want to give you a personal example. I remember when I was younger, I went back to visit Taiwan relatives. And, you know, when you go, you're back on holidays, right? It's, it's the most fun, right? You go to night markets, you go shopping, you go to those game zones and, and you play. But the relatives thought it would be a good idea for Ben to experience what high school would be like in Taiwan, right? For Ben to experience what high school would be like in Taiwan so that Ben can appreciate the education that he has in Australia to see how hard Taiwanese kids have it. So, so my relatives, they put me in uh, a high school uh, for a day. And I remember it was the worst feeling because I was excluded because I wasn't fully Chinese. You see, even though I look Chinese, I couldn't speak the language with great fluency like the locals. Because I was brought up in Australia, I had different upbringing and different values, was sort of marginalized. And also at the same time in Australia, I also didn't feel comfortable and was often excluded in, in some circles because I wasn't white Australian. So I was constantly caught up in this conflict, not knowing where I belong, excluded from my heritage, Taiwanese, but also excluded in the place I grew up in Australia. And a lot of American born Chinese can identify with this constant tension that we have in society. Here we see these Jewish Christians. Likewise, they didn't really know where they belong. They were Jews, but they've come to Christ. And, and their own people were excluding them from community life. And because of this, I think it brought about them being weak. Made them feel like they had no power or no say in their society. But I think as a result of this, their weakness led to depend on the power of God. You see, one example I want to bring out in the Apostle Paul's own journey in the Christian life is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 9, Paul says, Because of these surpassing great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. You see, I believe God knows that pride is one of the strongest temptations that we face. It's one of, it's part of our fallen human nature. We gravitate towards pride even when we don't want to. And I think this is one of the biggest sins in our community and in Silicon Valley, right? We're the smartest and the brightest in all of US. We're here in Silicon Valley. But I think weaknesses are often brought to us by God to help safeguard our hearts against pride. You see, I've had countless of conversations with people in my community at Home of Christ One. They're really good at what they do. Sports, career, biotech, teaching, whatever. But they have shared with me because of their own pride. It's been their downfall. God has humbled them. Whether that's come in the form of an injury, whether it's not getting that promotion that they believe they deserved, or maybe getting that wife who corrects them and humbles them all the time. Mm-hmm. You see, God uses different means for us to safeguard our hearts against pride. Think about it. If today as a church, you are strong all the time, doing good works, doing good deeds, you might start to gravitate towards feeling, hey, we're enough. We're pretty good church. We love the poor. We're rich. We have strong leaders, strong leadership team. We're a perfect church. There's no other church like like our church in Saratoga. We start to take credit for all the good things happening in our ministry, right? And this leads to a fall. You see, Paul did the opposite. His ministry was full of fruit. But he boasted in weaknesses because then the power of Christ would be manifested. You see, a very personal example of mine is when when I first um, started seminary, because I I come from a preacher's family, a third generation uh, of preachers. preachers. And so I believe from a young age, you know, I was like, you know, when, when, when one day I start preaching in the seminary, I want to be better than my grandpa. I'm going to be better than my dad. I'm going to be better than all my uncles who, who are also pastors and preachers and elders. And, and so and, and so when I started preaching, I was like, yeah, you know, I was telling my dad, I was like, you know, your older generation, uncles, come preach like me. I'm full of passion, right? But what happened was, I think... What happened was God started to humble me because every time I preached, my wife would pull me aside and tell me everything wrong with my sermon. Tell me all the things that I needed to improve on. And you know what? As much as I didn't like it, it humbled me. It brought me back to ground level. And I think God uses different means to bring us back to humility. And could it be that throughout the years, with all the events that have happened at Hock 4, it has made Hock 4 rely more on God's power. Mm -hmm. You see, I think as Christians, 
we need to embrace weakness. In our society where we see strength and might and power and wealth and status as number one, I think we need to start seeing weakness as number one because weakness leads us to depend on God's power. Second, knowing our destiny helps us to press on. Knowing our destiny helps us to press on. You see, through these Philadelphian Christians, even though they had a hard time socially, financially, and also attacks from the local synagogue, I think one thing that kept them moving forward is the very fact that Jesus gave them a threefold promise, right? A new home, a new heavenly city, and a new name. I think this is what drove the Christians forward, knowing their destiny in God's presence is what helped them to press on despite setback. The Apostle Paul brings out this theology out in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 to 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 to 18. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You see, whenever we look at troubles in life, we always need to see it as momentary, temporary. Just like when we uh, are traveling, right? When, like whenever I go to, whenever I go back to Australia, I either have to travel through to like Queensland or to New Zealand, like a stopover. It's temporary. This is not my final destination. Melbourne is my final destination. Likewise, when we see hardships and trials and setbacks in our life, those are temporary because it's in comparison to the coming glory, which will be internal. You see, trials only last for a little while in comparison to eternal salvation. And this should bring great encouragement to all of you at Home of Christ 4, because no matter what you are up against in society, your trials that you have faced in, in, in your church life, it's nothing in comparison to eternity with God. And this is what you need to cultivate on this earth. You see, many of us, including myself, we only think about tomorrow. We think about our next milestone. But if you think about it, this view is so short-sighted. We need to develop eternity in our hearts. You know, Jonathan Edwards, a great American theologian in the 17th century, said, Lord, stab eternity on my eyeballs. What he's saying is he wanted eternity at the forefront of his mind. And I think in our generation, we only think very short-term. And because of that, it creeps into our spiritual lives. And we often lose focus on, on the long-term gains that God's kingdom is, has prepared for us. You see, everything that we do right now, it's preparing us for eternity. And knowing our future destination and an eternity in the presence of God, it helps us to continue to press on despite setback. You see, for the Philadelphian Christians, I believe the key to them enduring and keeping the words of Jesus despite obstacles was that they knew deep down in their hearts their destiny, the presence of God. You see, once we see that as a church community, whatever comes our way in this lifetime, whatever happens in your church community, whatever pressures you face, you see, it's water off a duck's back. You're able to endure the trial because you know, hey, all these things will pass. 
because one day Christ is my reward. And that's for all eternity. You know, I, I personally hate going on hikes. Some of you love running, exercising, hikes. I think I, I know Elder Jerry, he loves running. But I myself, I, I, I can't run. Like yesterday, Ruth forced me to, to walk uphill. Five seconds in, I was like huffing and puffing. And, and Ruth is, my wife is always trying to force me to, to go walk. And she's like, you know, you need to lose weight. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's, it's good for the soul. And I'm trying to find every excuse under the sun, you know. Um, but if I know there's food involved, if I know there's a good place to eat nearby, or there's a cafe at the destination, it helps me to endure every trial of face I, I, on this hike. No matter what uphill I'm gonna climb, like I'm gonna climb, no matter what bugs come or whatever or the weather, I couldn't care because I know what's waiting for me at the final destination, right? Food. And I think likewise with our Christian lives, whatever comes our way despite pressures and setback, I know what's going to come. I know my final destination is God. Third and final point. No one is insignificant to God. No one is insignificant to God. You know, this church in Philadelphia was your country town small church faced with social pressure, earthquakes, natural disasters, obstacles by the local Jews. But out of all the churches that Jesus mentions in the book of Revelation, guess what? This church is the church with the most promises. A threefold promise, like a threefold reward, a pillar in the temple of God, a new city and a new name. Though outwardly they were despised, but in the sight of God, they were loved and valued. Maybe home of Christ for outwardly you're despised. Maybe outwardly there's nothing fancy about your church. But in the sight of God, you are loved and valued. In the sight of God, you are significant and you play a crucial role in the kingdom of God. You know, I'm sure at some point in your lives, you felt the same way, right? Feeling insignificant spiritually. You know, maybe Asalia tells you to do something for youth group and you think, oh, spiritually, I'm not there relationally, you know, you didn't get along with this brother and sister, you're not there. Vocationally, in your careers, or otherwise, you feel like you don't measure up. There's so many people who are smarter, better looking than me. You know, I'm small, I'm often overlooked. But I think these Philadelphian Christians teach us something. You see, they felt small in power, but in the eyes of God, they were significant. They had a threefold promise. You know, I want to speak into your life before I finish off is God values you and cares about you. Jesus is a good shepherd and he knows each and every one of his sheep. It's not about whether you're good looking, how strong you are or how smart you are. Jesus cares about you and accepts you where you are in life. Jesus cares about home of Christ for the same way he cares about the popular, the fancy modern church down the road. Through the, all the ups and downs, Jesus cares about home of Christ for. You know, I'll share a personal story. I've only shared it with, with my community at, at Home of Christ One. But 
I, I come from a very big family. My, my grandpa, the, from my dad's side, um, had 10 children, right? 10 children. So you can imagine, you know, all, uh, uncles and aunties, right? And with uncles and aunties, obviously we have cousins, right? And, and with these Chinese family dinners, and I'm sure many of you can relate, what's one thing that happens in Chinese family dinners? Comparisons, right? Comparisons. So in, in these family dinners, they would compare. And, you know, all my cousins, they're all smarter than me, much more accomplished than me. Many of them were physically fitter, stronger, and taller than me. They, they went to better colleges in Australia and Taiwan and the U.S. And so at every family, Asian family dinner, this is what Asian parents will talk about, right? Talk about, oh, you know, you see my, my son, you know, in Chinese, they would say, oh, right? which means like, you know, oh, my son earned this reward at school, at sports. And for my parents, uh, this was a time where they, they didn't speak much, right? Because, you know, like Ben, growing up, you know, Ben wasn't something to boast about, right? He, he just joked around all the time. Every cousin went to the best and finest schools like Yale and Taiwan, the best and finest schools in Australia. Now, Ben, he just went to an okay school. He's very simple-minded. He's just a, he's just a kid, you know. And, and, and my nickname, right, because I was little, like I was the youngest, right, so they'll call me Little Ben. But the funny thing is if you translate this to Chinese, it's called Xiao Ben. But instead of calling me Xiao Ben, you know what they called me? Xiao Ben, right? Like, uh, which means little stupid, right? Xiao Ben. And, and so growing up, I felt a lot of insecurities, right? I'm always trying to prove myself to people. So whenever I achieve something or whenever I earn something, I always try to go the extra mile and proving people wrong. And, and then, um, you know, I remember like um, a couple years back, I had this cousin who, who would always bully me. He was always physically bigger than me, right? And so when I started to work out, started to go to the gym, then I would go back and show him like, hey, you know, I'm bigger than you now, right? You can't bully me. You know, I just always try to prove them wrong. But the more I think about it, the more I realize and see that, hey, though some of my family members may not look highly upon me, I know the God of this universe loves me and cares for me. Mm-hmm. And what he cares about it's not how much money or wealth or status I have in society, but what he cares about and what he sees as highly valued is my simple obedience to him. My simple obedience and my work for his kingdom. And because of that, I'm no longer insignificant. Because of that, I am significant in the eyes of God. And so these last few years, I've been preaching that truth to myself. And the more I reflect and preach that to myself, the more God is shifting my mind and my heart. I'm starting to see, hey, I may not be as accomplished as my cousins, but in the kingdom of God, I have a lot. I have a lot because of my simple obedience to Jesus. God has a special place for me in his kingdom. And one day, I will enjoy this final acceptance in the kingdom of God. Now, today, many of you may compare yourselves with other churches. Oh, that church down the road has a bigger youth group. 
That church has more money to do social justice. That church has many strong leaders and pastors. But I want you to start change and shifting your thinking and be like, that. those things don't matter. What matters is today, we as a community at Home of Christ for our simple obedience to Jesus and our whole heart in the kingdom of God. That's what it matters. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is not going to assess us on how big or how fancy our church was. But Jesus will assess us on whether we were the church that just pressed on, that held fast to his word and never denied his name. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement of these Philadelphian Christians, that though we are a church with small power in society, Lord, may we be the church that presses on, that holds fast to the words of Jesus and never denies the name of Jesus. Help us to see that our weakness leads us to depend on you. Help us, O oh God, to see our final destination and help us to endure despite all that we faced as a church and help us to continue to press on knowing that we are not insignificant in your kingdom, but rather we are highly valued and loved by you because of our simple obedience to Jesus Christ. We thank you, we praise you, and we love you, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend Ben.